Well, good morning. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Acts chapter 16. And we're going to continue on with our study of Acts this morning. And something that is really fun about going through Acts and exciting is the same thing that makes it a little difficult. And it's that every chapter continues to hammer on the exact same theme. But it's a really good theme. And it's one we need to see over and over and over again and be reminded of as a church and as individuals. And it's this, that, uh, that as we preach the gospel, declare the gospel, as the gospel goes forth, sinners continue to come in. All right, that's the theme that we see in Acts, that no matter as the church uh, continues to move forward, advancing the gospel, that there's obstacles that will stand in our way, that there's challenges that will stand in our way, that we will meet resistance, and yet the gospel will win, the gospel triumphs. And that is a theme we see over and over and over again in Acts. And it's a continued theme that we see in Acts chapter 16, where we'll be this morning, uh, that the gospel triumphs, that there's power in the gospel, And it's also a chapter that reminds us that we're called to be, continues to remind us that we're called to be people on the move. We've got to remind ourselves of that, that we're part of a movement that began, that we read about in Acts chapter 1 and 2. And what makes the movement a movement is that it moves, that we're disciples on the go, that we have work to do, that we have a gospel to share, that there's a lost world uh, to reach. And, uh, and we're reminded that that's who we are called to be. And here's the thing. This is what we're reminded of in uh, chapter 16 as well. Is we're reminded of this. That if we are serious about being disciples on the go. If we're serious about being a church that says we're not okay with just coming together and huddling up and filling our minds with more information about God's word and about God and about these truths, but we are going to come together every week like this. We're going to to gather around this truth called the gospel. We're going to grow in it. We're going to be refueled, and then we're going to go out and share it until we meet again. If we're serious about that as a church, and if you're serious about that as an individual, what you're going to find as a disciple on the go is that life's going to get a little crazy sometimes. That life's going to go, sometimes it's going to feel like you're supposed to be going right and you're going to go left. It's going to feel like you're supposed to be going left and you're going to go right. Unexpected things, unpredictable things, detours, interruptions. If you're a serious disciple on the go, it's going to feel like life's somewhat of a roller coaster ride at times. Now, speaking of roller coasters, all right, how many people in here like to ride roller coasters? I don't know. A lot of you do. Uh, I like roller coasters. I've always liked roller coasters. And uh, I was uh, really excited to have kids because I got more roller coaster riding partners, right? And, uh, but I was really discouraged that they didn't just come out of the womb wanting to ride a roller coaster. It took some convincing I didn't, I wasn't prepared for them to be so scared and terrified of riding roller coasters. So I had to talk them in to riding roller coasters and, and enjoying that. And the most difficult child that I have that was hard to get on roller coasters was my youngest was Max. I don't know if it's a younger child thing, but he just wasn't interested in riding roller coasters. So I worked really hard to get him to convince him to ride smaller roller coasters. And, and then uh, my goal was to get him on Space Mountain at Disney World. All right which was a very difficult task. He, and he was re- he's like a clever little booger, all right? So we would, uh, on the way there, you know, probably early last year, he'd be like, yeah. He knew that if he would like talk big, that it would kind of get us off his back. So he'd be like, oh, yeah, I can't wait to ride Space Mountain today. I'm going to do that today, right? And so we wouldn't really talk about it. And we'd get into the park. And he would already have concocted a little excuse in his mind. 
knowing that his mom doesn't ride roller coasters anymore, he would get up to the ride, true story, and he'd be like, you know, I, somebody's got to sit with mom out here, right? Somebody's got to, we're going to leave mom at her by herself. Y'all go, y'all, y'all go, I'll, I'll do it later. I'm going to sit here with mom. Or he, he'd come up with an excuse like, we, we ate not too long ago. I'm not sure if it's good for us to ride this ride after we just, after we just ate. And so uh, finally I sat down with him and I, and I really worked hard at convincing him. I said, Max, look at everybody coming off of this ride. Look how excited they are, right? Look, they had a good time, right? I know that you've heard stories from your brother and sister about how it's dark in there and how it's a, you know, it's kind of crazy and, and, it, and it jerks you around a little bit and it goes up and down and, and swirls around. And, 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 I, and I know you've heard how fast it goes, but listen, you'll be okay, all right? That the, the, the roller coaster has been designed in such a way that it's going to take you exactly where it's designed to take you. It's all been planned out. It's all been mapped out where, where it's designed to drop you off. It's going to drop you off and you're going to get to walk out like those people and have a smile on your face and have a lot of fun. That wasn't really working. I even said this. I said, I'll be with you. Like your loving earthly father will be with you on the ride. You'll be fine. And finally, what worked is I said, I just was desperate. I was like, and Max, look, that little girl right there, she's younger than you. You're going to let her go on that ride. And finally, he was like, okay, let's go. All right. So we, we got on the ride and got in line. And I even have a picture of that day. You can see this one. He was like, yes, let's go. All right, there he is. It's obviously in 2020. And, uh, and then the next one is actually on the ride where it's hard to see the terror on his face, but he wasn't super excited. He doesn't scream. He like grunts when he gets scared. He's like, ooh. So I'm like holding him like, it's going to be fine. He should have taken a... He should have taken a cue from his uh, cousin in front of him, uh, Piper, who just kept her eyes closed the entire time, right? <laughs> calm, calm as a cucumber, right? And so we, we, he did it. We got off. He said, you know, I said, did you have fun? He said, yeah. And I said, okay, so let's do it again. No lie. He said, maybe next year when I'm seven. I think that would be a good time for me to go on it a second time. But I was like, small steps. We got him on it. And, and you know, uh, again, small, small steps in the right direction. I share that story Because what we're going to learn in this passage, again, is that as fully devoted disciples of Christ, the path that you're going to walk is at times going to feel, it's going to feel like like a roller coaster. Where Just like Max's experience, when it feels like things should be going this way, you're going to get jerked this way. When it feels like things are going smooth and, and you're, you're moving forward, you're going to drop and you're going to come back up. And it's, it's going to feel unpredictable at times. Things are going to happen that are unexpected. You know, and, and what, we, what we learn in this passage, though, is this, you know, is, is that you have a father who has also mapped out that pathway and is going to take you exactly where he wants to take you. That you, If you're a disciple of Christ, not only that, he's going to take you places on purpose for you to point people in those places back to him. And so what I want us to do is I want us to stand with our Bibles open, Acts chapter 16, and I want you to look at a little crazy roller coaster ride in the life of Paul and Silas that's going to lead them to exactly the place where God wants them to be, where they're going to do the gospel work that God wants them to do. I'll begin to read in verse 6. It says, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made 
a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is leading, the leading city in the district of Macedonia. So they went to the most important city in that region, a Roman colony. We remained in the city for some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there, or who had come together. Uh, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Would you have a seat as I pray? Lord, I pray that you would help us this morning. I just pray a simple prayer, Lord, that you would, if there's people here who are lost, Lord, that you would save them. You are, you are the one who opens the hearts and the eyes of sinners to the goodness of your grace. And so, Lord, we need your spirit to work in this place. And so, Lord, I pray if there's anyone in this room like Lydia who maybe things are somewhat together in their life, maybe they don't feel like they're in need of a Savior, I pray that you would help open their eyes to that need today and they'd realize that they're missing not just something, but they're missing everything. Lord, I pray for those of us who are saved that you'd strengthen our faith today, that you would help us to remember that you are a sovereign God always working, that we can trust you. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us to leave this place today um, more in love with you, the affections of our hearts stirred for you, and more passionate about, Lord, living our life for you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So first thing we learn in this text, two simple points, and hopefully these will be easy for you to remember, is the first thing, we learn something about the winding path we follow. The winding path of God that we follow. Paul and Barnabas are ready to head back out after a really successful first missionary journey, head back out on a second missionary journey. Their plan is to go back into that same area that they worked in on the first missionary journey and deliver to them the good news that they have from the Jerusalem council that the Gentiles who have been saved don't have to follow Jewish practices in order to really be saved, that that grace is enough and that their faith in Jesus Christ is enough and that they're saved. Uh, That's their plan, but there's going to be some loops and there's going to be some twists and there's going to be some turns that are coming their way. And one, the first twist we see is at the end of chapter 15 where Paul and Barnabas, they're ready to go out and they have a knockdown, drag out argument over bringing John Mark with them. All right. So John Mark was with them for a little bit on their first missionary journey, but scholars believe probably after him getting homesick or getting fearful about where they were going and what they were doing, he, he peaced out. He went home. That did not sit well with Paul. All right. So Paul was not a fan of that decision. And you, you probably wouldn't either, all right? So if you are, are ready to, to go and you got your, your, your team with you, you got your boys with you, let's go. We got some hard work to do. And, and one of them bolts and goes back home because he's homesick. And then he's in uh, Lystra later on, Paul, where you know, that first missionary journey where he gets stoned almost to death. Uh, and he's probably out there thinking, I would be thinking like, my boy Barnabas is right here. I'm out here doing all this hard work. I'm taking the heat. What's John Mark doing? He's probably at home drinking a latte on his back porch. And I'm out here about to get stoned to death. So he did not like the fact that John Mark pulled back and did not move forward with them. Barnabas, the guy having the gift of mercy, is like, give the guy a second chance. Like, let's bring him along. All right, so uh, it's, 
It's one of those things where you get this split that happens and, and Barnabas and Paul can't agree. And so Barnabas takes John Mark and they sail west to Cyprus and God uses them there. We see the sovereignty of God even in that division and in that kind of ugly time. And Paul gets a new travel partner, Silas, and they head north. By the way, Paul and John Mark, they do, they do come back together. They do reconcile, right? They, they hug it out later on, probably handshake it out. Paul's not much of a hugger, all right? But we do know, as we read in 2 Timothy 2, at the end of Paul's life, John Mark's one of the guys he wants by his side. By side. We do read in Philemon that he calls him, I believe it's verse 24, he calls him his fellow worker. So that, that's just a little side lesson there. And it's really not, I don't want to call it a side lesson, but it's a, it's a reminder that if you've got something between you and your brothers and sisters in Christ, if there's a disagreement, a point of contention that has planted some division between you and a brother or sister to Christ, work that out. Amen. Your family, that's what family does. Right. Work it out. And I think that's what Paul would tell you to do as well. Well, at the beginning of this chapter, uh, we see uh, Paul and Silas. Uh, they pick up a third person uh, and goes back to Leicester, the same place where he almost got stoned. And he picks up Timothy. We covered uh, some of Timothy's story on Mother's Day. Hopefully you remember that, uh, where Timothy has probably been saved uh, by, uh, as a result of Paul's first missionary journey. Uh, and he is devoted to, to God and he is, is growing in his faith. And Paul comes through and hears about him and says, come with me. That's a whole lesson there about having someone always in your life pouring into you and you pouring into them. Right? We're a church of people who are growing as disciples, but we're making disciples. We're finding people to pour into and finding people to pour into us. And so he brings Timothy along and he's gonna, it's going to be a lifelong mentorship. And so Paul and Timothy and Silas, there's your missionary team starting off here with a second missionary journey and they're ready to hit the road. Little did they know that they're going to spend 300 plus miles feeling like they're in a pinball machine bouncing all around Asia. They had a plan to go into Asia, which would have been northern Turkey at that time. It says they were forbidden to go there. Then they try to go to Bithynia, and the spirit of Jesus says, nope, closed door there. Then they finally land in Troas, right? A city on the coast, on the very end of the region where Paul felt like he was supposed to do ministry. That's where Paul felt best equipped to do ministry. So why in the world are they in Troas? There had to be questions in their mind. They had to be wondering, God, we're trying to do ministry. We're trying to, 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 to take the gospel to these Gentiles. We're trying to go to these different places, a place I understand. Culture, I understand. A place where we've seen some, some success. We've seen the gospel take root in some different places. And here we are. We thought the Holy Spirit was in the business of opening doors for the gospel to go and opening the doors for us to do gospel ministry. And you keep closing doors. And here we are. Why are we in this coastal city of Troas? It doesn't make sense. And what the passage right here teaches us, it teaches us something about being a disciple on the move. You want to decide to be a disciple on the move? You want to be a disciple who's about the mission, who's about advancing the kingdom work of Jesus Christ. You are going to often have moments where you feel like you don't know where you're going and what you're doing. That's how they feel in Troas. And if you're new to the faith, you got to prepare for those moments. Listen, when you make your plans, and by the way, plans are good. Strategizing is good. Mapping things out. Organization is a biblical concept, all right? Some of you parents of teenagers, take that home with you today. You're welcome, all right? Organization is good, all right? Strategizing and planning is good. 
But let me tell you something. If you are going to follow Christ, don't be surprised when you map things out. You've got your neat little map and your neat little route and, and how you think things are going to go, even in the area of ministry. And you find out that God's going to take that map and he's going to ball it up and give you a new one. See, sometimes he gets us to where he's taking us through our plans. And sometimes it's in spite of our plans. And if this sounds unfamiliar and you're like, I really don't know what you're talking about. Like my, my life seems to be going exactly the way that I planned it. You might not be following Christ. If you're following Jesus, get ready for some loops in the roller coaster is what I'm trying to say. God has always led his children down the winding and confusing but perfect path that he has for them. Filled with open doors, filled with closed doors, all for these reasons to drive us more to the sufficiency of Christ, to drive us to a place where we trust him more, not on our own strength or wisdom, and to lead us to places where he wants us to be a light for the gospel. You know, William Carey has been called, I don't know if you, that, that name's familiar to you. He's been nicknamed the father of modern missions. He served in the 1700s and 1800s in India, had an incredibly fruitful ministry there. It maybe not, didn't look very fruitful, you know, at the time, at seven or 800 converts, I believe, uh, from his entire ministry. But the ripple effect of the work that he did there, uh, it, it, was, it was foundational to just in the world of missions. Uh, you know, the, just the, the, in the area of Bible translation on the mission field. He was, he was kind of at the front of all of those things. Here's the thing about William Carey. He didn't want to go to India. He didn't want to go there. He ended up in a place that he didn't want to go. He had his heart set to go to the Polynesian Islands. That's where, in his mind, he envisioned himself doing successful gospel ministry. And yet there he finds himself in India going, how did I get here? And why am I here? And yet God used him there in a great way. You'll often have times like that even in your own life. I'm standing here today wondering, I don't know how I got here this morning. I mean, I know I got in my car. Some of you are like, I got in my car and drove here this morning. I know how literally I got here this morning, right? But like in my life and ministry and family, I don't, I don't know how I got. This wasn't my plan. It wasn't. I was blessed to serve here for a period of time. Uh, a number of years ago as a, as a student pastor, we had a, a great time with that and felt blessed to be here. And then God called us away from a great fellowship here into a different ministry role where I served for a few years. Then he called me back into student ministry, something I said I would never do. Went back into student ministry for five more years. And then we, we kind of had a sense that God was calling us into me, me to be a, be a pastor, possibly a lead pastor. My plan, and I had my heart set on planting a church. In fact, I, was, I had plans uh, to be part of a, of a residency program out on the West Coast, like on the other side of the United States. I had, this was not on my radar, right? I, until I got a call and things began to unravel, and here I am, and I'm glad I'm here. I really am. <laughs> Thank you, one person who clapped. I appreciate that. <laughs> appreciate that charismatic response. I received that in the name of Jesus. But bottom line, listen, if... If you're serious about being part of God's work in the world, if you're serious about advancing the gospel, you can map it out, you can plan it out, you can plot it out, you can try to work it out. But listen, planning is good, but it will not work out exactly like you're planning. You have to be okay with that. And after bouncing around, like I said, like a bunch of pinballs, they, on foot, by the way, 300 plus miles on foot, Weaving their way through the mountains and all over the place, wondering where they were supposed to land. They, they come dragging into Troas, maybe at their wit's end. Maybe some of them going, should we just go back to Antioch? 
We're not getting anywhere out here. And yet that's exactly where God meets them. And in verse 9, it says that Paul, he has this vision. A man in Macedonia standing there urging, saying, come to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, it says immediately, it says we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And I can imagine, I, I can only imagine just knowing some things about the apostle Paul that he woke up after that meeting with God going, of course, of course. Of course, the detours and the twists and the interruptions and the detours and the, and the closed doors ultimately are about the mission. Now, did Paul have questions? I'm sure he did. We'd all have questions in that moment. Still, he's wondering, what are we doing sailing across the Aegean Sea? I mean, I'm a, he was an ancient Asian Jew. So in the area of modern Turkey, that's where he, he knew those people. That's where his common descendants were from. So he understood their culture. He understood the way that they thought. That's where he had already seen some successful ministry happen. He didn't know anything about people across the Aegean Sea in modern day Greece at that time, Macedonia. But instead of getting frustrated, what Paul does is he embraces this change in the plan that God has for his life and follows that winding road and seizes another opportunity to tell more people about Jesus. So let me ask you this. How are you handling the curveballs in your life this morning? How are you handling the winding path that God has for your life? The loops, the drops, the changes. Because what we're good at in that moment is getting really easily frustrated. We get frustrated at the smallest amount of change in our life. We get frustrated about the smallest amount of inconvenience in our life. I personally get frustrated when traffic doesn't move the way that I want it to move. I get frustrated when I got plans, talking about making plans, mapping out plans on Father's Day to go to one of the most glorious establishments that serves the, some of the most finest cuisine in all of the earth called Waffle House last Sunday. And I, we pull up into the Waffle House parking lot with my plan to sit there with my family on Father's Day. And we walk in and they go, sorry, the dining room is closed today. What? The dining room is closed. We're only doing to-go orders at my favorite Waffle House, the one on 17 down there by 295 because it's been there a long time. And the longer, in my, in, my, in my opinion, the longer the Waffle House has been there and the greasier it is, the, the better the food. Now, we did go and find another Waffle House, right? I was like, I'm not ready to embrace God's winding path to take me to the IHOP just yet. That's a frustrating moment. I get frustrated when my, anytime my wife sends me to the grocery store. You know, she can send me with, with, with one, just find one item. I have trouble finding one item, right? No one told me that the fruit snacks were in the fruit juice aisle. I thought they were in the snack aisle. So there I am making seven laps around the grocery store. I have to go ask a 14-year-old kid, a grown man, where are the fruit snacks at? And I got to follow him around the grocery store. He doesn't even know where he's going. Where are we going in life? I get frustrated when I'm at the gas station and I'm standing in line and it's a long line and I shouldn't get frustrated, but I have this gift of getting in line behind the person who's going to buy every scratch off ticket in the entire convenience store. And outside, I'm kind of like calm and everything's good, but can I just be real with you? Is this a safe place to be real? No? Yeah? If, if, if not, you can judge me in your heart and Jesus will see that. All right? Just want you to know. But inside, I'm yelling, you're wasting your money. You're wasting your money and you're wasting our time. Please stop it, right? But on the outside, standing there real calm, real chill, right? 
we easily get frustrated. But if I'm thinking like a Christian, listen to this. If I'm thinking like a Christian, maybe there's a reason I'm standing in that line. If I'm thinking like a Christian, maybe there's a reason why I just made my seventh lap around the grocery store and made my seventh trip down the aisle seven looking for fruit snacks. Maybe there's a reason you're having to change schools this year. Maybe there's a reason why you had to move to a new neighborhood. You didn't understand why you had to sell your house maybe that you liked and, and you're having to maybe downsize and move to a new place. Maybe there's a reason why you're, you're moving to a different doctor's office where you're going to be around some other people there, people that you're not familiar with, like the old place you went to. Maybe there's a reason why you, you're moving to a workstation. Maybe there's a reason why you lost your job and you're having to go and work at a new place. Why? Because there's new people there that Jesus wants you to meet. Paul was always thinking that way. Paul understood that as he followed the winding path of God, that wherever it led him, it led him there primarily for one reason, to be on mission and to look for more people to point to Jesus Christ and to his gospel. What if the change of direction in the plans that maybe you made for a certain ministry is part of his winding path for your life? What if the change in your health that's come out of left field. You weren't expecting that. You thought life was headed this way and it's jerked you that way. A change that involves suffering. A change that involves pain. By the way, the winding path for Paul's life is going to lead him into a place of severe suffering. Before we get out of this chapter in the next two weeks. But what if in the middle of your suffering, what if in the middle of your pain, your first thought wasn't, God, what are you doing? God, get me out of this. But what if it was this? Whose life can I impact going through this season of suffering in my life? Who is God putting around me that may be looking at the way that I am handling this suffering? Who's around me who, who will be able to look into my life and by the grace of God see a peace and a joy and a satisfaction that does not make sense for someone to possess in the middle of a storm like this. That's how Paul was always thinking. And so he takes the switch up in his plans. He takes it in stride. And off they go across the Aegean Sea. He, himself, Silas, Timothy. And by the way, there's a fourth person with him. Did you know that? Notice in... Verse 11, there's a personal pronoun change there. It goes from they to we. See, there's another reason why he had to go to Troas because this is where he picks up Dr. Luke who will end up writing Acts and also the Gospel of Luke. And it'll be an encouragement to him and later on we'll see how Luke will actually be left in Philippi to play a big part in the encouragement and spiritual development of those new believers there. The winding path of God that he has for our life. It's to be embraced. We have a God who has designed that path who can be trusted. And what I love about the rest of this passage is it's not this. Because we follow the winding path God has for us for the purpose of pointing people to him. But the way that this chapter, the, the, the direction that it goes is not this. Hey, you take the winding path that God puts you on and witness to people and people will get saved. Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, they sail over the Aegean Sea. They go into Philippi and they point people to Jesus and they get saved. That would be an exciting narrative to read. But yet they get very specific. Luke gets very specific. In the second part right here, so we not only learn something about the wayward or the uh, winding path that we follow, we learn about the kind of wayward people that we reach. And there's only three stories. There certainly were more than three people who were saved in Philippi. 
And yet what Luke does is he focuses in on three people, probably because these are the first people that he ever got to see the gospel collide with somebody's life like they like, like it does in these people's lives and how it affected their family. The, these are three stories that stuck with him. But the Holy Spirit has also preserved these three stories in chapter 16, I believe, to show us how the gospel, listen, is for everybody and he can save anybody. These are three very different people, all with one common problem, right? All with sin, all with this problem of being separated from a holy God, but with different backgrounds, from different friend groups, from different family backgrounds, from different parts of town, had different rap sheets when it came to their history of sin, a different religious views, spiritual views, different economic and social uh, statuses, but who each find salvation in life and right standing with God through one Savior. The one gospel, and we're going to see miraculously come together as one family united together by one Holy Spirit. And as you study these, the lives of these three people, what you find is that these are the same types of people that are alive today on the earth. These are the same type of people that lost kind of people that you are going to be rubbing shoulders with this week. These are the kind of people that you live near. These are the kind of people that you play golf with. These are the kind of people that you go to school with. These are the kind of people, some of you are those kind of people right here sitting in this room this morning. So what we're going to do is I've decided to do this. We're going to look at one of these people this morning and we're going to look at the other two next week on July 4th. And the one that we're going to look at this morning is the very first lady that they run into, the very first convert on European soil, and it's Lydia. It says they come into Philippi, and it says on the set, this is interesting, right? you got this group of men, four guys, Luke, Paul, Silas, Timothy. They come strolling into the town. They're there a couple days, and it says they start heading to the river. And they're walking down to the river, and they see a big group of ladies huddled together, gabbing and talking about something. Now, you would think the narrative would be this group of guys, they start walking down to the river, they see a big group of ladies talking, and they immediately turn around and go back into town, find a place that's selling wings and showing a football game, and hang out with some guys. But no, what's going on right here? Usually what Paul would do is he would go into a city and he'd find a synagogue, and he, that was kind of his tactic. But in order for it to constitute a synagogue, it took 10 Jewish men. You know what that meant? It meant there weren't even 10 God-fearing men in this city. And so what Paul does is he goes to a place in town that they understand is usually designated for anybody who has some spiritual devotion of any kind, a place where God seekers would meet and talk and worship uh, whatever God they served. And they are gathering in that spot and Paul goes down and in the midst of that, he, he meets a God-fearing, and we get the implication, the implication there is that she probably believed in the God of Israel, but it was kind of a loose belief. But it says she's a God-fearing lady. It means she believed in God, much like Cornelius, God-fearing but not saved. We do learn some things about here, her, from, about her from here, that she's from Thyatira. That was the, uh, the, the center for purple dye trade that maybe doesn't seem like a big deal, but really was because really rich people in the royal class loved to buy linens that were dyed purple. And so she moved across the Aegean Sea and started this really high-end boutique on Main Street in the middle of Philippi and had some high-end customers. She's a sharp business lady. The context clues in this chapter tell us that she had a big house. She had money. She's an independent, strong, religious, moral, successful, well-to-do, wealthy businesswoman. In other words, she was a lady in the community that people would look at and say, man, she's she's a leader of the community. I mean, she's got it all together. What else do you need? And Lydia's sharp. 
And she's somebody you can look up to. And from a worldly perspective, her life looks full. It looks put together. And how easy it would have been for anybody to walk into that place and to see a lady put together like that, very moralistic, very religious, a God-fearing lady who was sharp, had great leadership skills, probably very likable, and to look past her need for the gospel and to go run after someone whose life has fallen apart a little bit more. Certainly was a temptation to do that. Because from the outside, her life looked full. But on the inside, the reality was it was hollow. From an earthly perspective, it looked like she had everything. From an eternal perspective, she had nothing. And so right there next to the river, Paul opens up God's word and he begins to do a Bible study. And I love this because this isn't like a quick gospel sales pitch. Here, sign a card. Off you go. I pronounce you saved. No, it's him sitting down, doing a Bible study, walking through the scriptures. It says he sat down and spoke to the women. And it says the Lord opened, I love this, opened her heart to pay attention. She discovers something's missing in her life and she discovers what's missing was Jesus. Underline that phrase in your Bible, the Lord opened her heart. We learn right here that the same God who opens and closes doors on the winding path that he leads us down is the same God who opens the hearts of sinners that we're called to point to Jesus along the way. He is the God of salvation. Salvation is a work of God. That's a liberating truth that takes the burden off of us, that takes the pressure off of us. All we're called to do is to go out and faithfully point people to Jesus, to faithfully preach the gospel to faithfully declare that salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone and to point sinners to that truth. And he's the one who opens their heart to receive it. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. I love Sinclair Ferguson, a Scottish preacher that I love reading and listening to. He says, our job is to take that same gospel key and to keep reinserting it into the lives of the people we come in contact with by declaring the gospel, we insert the key and the Holy Spirit comes along. and He's the one who turns it. Our job is to simply declare it. Well, back to that question, how easy would it have been for the Apostle Paul or any of us to look past her need because of how, how well put together she looked? And what I want to do is I want to say this. If you know Jesus this morning, I guarantee you, you are going to be interacting with and crossing paths with some Lydia's this week. Be careful that you don't shy away from getting into gospel conversations with those Lydia's who don't know Jesus simply because their life doesn't look like it's falling apart like some other people in our And if you're, if you're here this morning, and your life's falling apart. You need the same gospel. Jesus Christ will set you free. Jesus Christ will save you. Doesn't matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what your background is, the gospel is for everybody and can save anybody. But we tend to look past the Lydia's because it looked like, like they got their life together. And you may be here and you may be like that this morning. But you, your life may look like it's filled with some level of success. It may look like you've got a good set of friends and you may. It may even look like you're somewhat spiritual. Listen, but if you know somebody like that and if you are that person here this morning, if you aren't breathing the air of the gospel, you're dead. You're spiritually dead. Romans 3.10 says, apart from Jesus, none is righteous. No, not one. Ephesians 2, 1 says that apart from Christ, we're all dead in our trespasses and sin. And if you don't have Christ, you're missing something critical in your life. And it's reconciliation with your heavenly father, with the God of this universe. 
It's, it's what, you're, what you're lacking is forgiveness of your sins. What you're lacking is eternal life and adoption into the eternal family of God that is only found, listen, through throwing the full weight of your faith on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross for your salvation. Are you a Lydia here this morning? This can be confusing. Because, again, we have a tendency, we have a tendency as people to be kind of like check off the box type of people. And we can draw false conclusions that if my life seems like it's going okay and I have, you know, I, I kind of believe in God and I'm, I'm coming to church and, and, I, and, and, I, and I kind of put my life together, you know, in, in somewhat of a, an appropriate way then everything must be okay. And what can be confusing, and here's why it's confusing. Let me, let me explain it this way, because there's something called common grace. Right? Do you know what common grace is? Common grace are the good things that lost people and saved people both can enjoy. Does that make sense? Like the common grace of air conditioning. Praise God for that. Lost people and saved people can benefit from the blessing of air conditioning on days like this in Northeast Florida. Right? Uh, other examples of common grace family, good weather, good food. We went to the dream ed a couple days ago. Common grace. Praise the Lord for that. Technology, marriage, having friends, prosperity, success, being creative, having a good personality, being likable, being a great worker, having money in the bank, having good health, having good things happen to you. Hey, falling in love and being married for 50 years, that can be something of common grace that you can experience. This is called common grace. It rains on the just and the unjust. It's a result of living in a world that's made by a good God that blesses everyone to an extent with good things. Here's the danger in that. If you're a Lydia here this morning, listen, here's the danger in that. Be very careful that you don't enjoy living life in the sunshine of common grace and never taste God's saving grace. Be careful that you are not living your life enjoying the blessing of God's common grace and yet you haven't tasted his saving grace. Don't settle for his common grace and fall short of that saving grace. Lydia didn't. And the Lord opened her heart. She trusted in Jesus Christ as her personal Lord and Savior. She experienced a satisfaction that she had never known. She, she had everything. Everybody thought she had everything. And yet in that moment, her heart collided with a satisfaction and a joy and a peace and a new purpose and a new identity that she had not known before. And she found it in Christ Jesus. She got baptized. She opened up her home. And she used her home. She leveraged that. She stewarded that. And she opened it up for the first church that was planted on European soil that would be the stage on which the rest of the world would be reached, including us. Us being reached. And the gospel coming this way, this far west, goes back to this moment right here. These are one of the monumental moments it goes back to. And he uses this lady named Lydia in a mighty way and opened up her heart. And you may be here this morning, and my question is, are you a Lydia? Is God opening up your heart to receive his grace this morning? If, hey, if you know Christ, you're going to run into some Lydias this week. Or Larry's. If you think I'm just talking about ladies, it can be, it can be both. And listen, what will stir your heart, we're going to pick up where we leave off right here next week. But what will stir your heart to leave this place today 
and to walk that winding path that we follow and to point wayward people to the grace of Jesus Christ is to once again this morning remember that you've been saved by that grace. To once again remember that you are far from God, an enemy of God. You are a citizen of a kingdom of darkness. And someone came along and that key inserted into your life and the Holy Spirit came and turned it. Changed out your heart of stone for a heart of flesh and raised you to new life. All because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. You didn't deserve it. You simply believed it and received it. A free gift of salvation. Jesus did all the work. You just simply bowed your knee to him and received that gift. And listen, by remembering that once again, you receiving something that our hearts and our minds will never get down to the bottom of how much and how deep and how wide that love is for us. That is what will stir the affections of our heart for him and will stir a passion in us to run out of here and to listen, to, to run to the Lydia's and even the broken people whose sins manifest themselves in a more visible way and to point them to that same grace that saved us. It's very simple. Save people till lost people ought to be saved. That's what we do. And as we pause this morning and end the service by focusing on the death of Jesus Christ in our place, our prayers that it will stir our affections and stir our passions to do just that. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? This morning we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. And I want you to Again, bow your head and close your eyes and just pause for a moment. And I want you to remember what we're doing because what we're doing is we're stopping and we're cherishing, we're worshiping God for, we're being enamored by the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And in these next few moments, what we're really doing is we're putting the gospel on display. I don't know if you realize that, that we don't just put the gospel on display corporately or through songs or through the preaching on Sunday mornings, that we have two ordinances that we put the gospel on display through. So these aren't just empty rituals. So one of those is baptism, and that, of course, is representing when someone's baptized that Jesus died and he was buried in that grave and he rose again. And what that person is doing is they're identifying with his death, burial, and resurrection. And as they come out of those waters, they're telling the world that they've been ushered into the newness of his resurrection life. And as we observe this ordinance, the Lord's Supper, what we're doing is we're coming to the table and we're, we're remembering as we take this bread that the body of Christ was broken on our behalf. That Jesus absorbed the wrath that we should have been destroyed by because of our sin. And yet he took it on himself. He tasted death so that we can have eternal life. He took rejection so that we can be accepted. He laid down his life so that we can have the hope of eternity. And as we take the cup, we're going to remember that His blood was shed for us, that it covers our sins completely.